Welcome, you're listening to the rest of the sermon, a podcast where we dive deeper in content and conversation of last Sunday's sermon at Westside in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. For more information, you can visit our website at westsidepb.org. And we are back to the rest of the sermon. Miss Nikki, how are you? I'm doing well, how are you? I am wonderful, and let me tell you, just before we dive in, I believe last week with the ladies takeover of the podcast, (laughs) it might be one of the most responded to podcasts that we've ever done. Well, we um, were sent group texts, the three of us, Courtney and Haley and I, multiple times last week. (laughs) I remember texting them back going, what is happening right now? We were just three mothers, friends. Yeah. Jesus followers who sat down and chit-chatted. You guys were honest, and I think honesty always relates. Um, I heard a guy say one time, our strengths impress people, but our weaknesses connect us to people. And so everybody thinks that like they're the exception, that their family is struggling, or their marriage, or their... And then when you hear other people who are following Jesus, it's extremely encouraging. Yeah. So shout out to you ladies. You guys you. did. An it was inc- fun. Incredible job. Incredible job. Hey, we've got a few questions um, that were sent into the podcast. So we are going to start on the front end yeah. with some of those questions. And always want to remind you guys that um, this is sort of a secondhand avenue um, in light of Sunday's sermon. And so the goal of this podcast is to dive deeper in content and conversation from Sunday's sermon. And so if something pops up and there's a question um, or something like that, please send us an email at info at westsidepb.org, and we would love to answer your questions for that. Nikki, let's start with yours. It's a little off the wall, which I love. I love Well, it's it's off the wall, and it was um, it was just a generalized question. Yeah. I've never heard the term non Canical. Mm. Uh, before yesterday, I went online, looked it up, and I am more confused and would like to know more. <laughs> to which I replied, I'm listening to the sermon now and haven't got that far. I'll look. <laughs> and then it was, well, he doesn't say it. I just heard, and I was, I was cracking I up. I love it. I love that. You know why I love it? Because that is somebody that is trusting us yes. with sort of what they're hearing on yeah. stuff like that. So, man, let me tell you, non-canical is a $2 word as my grandma used it's to say. It's a big one. Yes, it is. So what this word um, is referring to, canical or the canon of Scripture. So for us as Protestant Christians, um, our Bible has 66 books, multiple different authors, um, three different languages, an Old Testament and New Testament, and one hero of it all, which mm-hmm. is Jesus. And so, but the cool thing about this is, is that the Bible did not just drop from the sky. Right. Okay. We believe um, what's called verbal plenary inspiration. Long story short, we believe that God inspired the human authors through the power of the Holy Spirit to write down and record the words in which he desired for his people to know. So the Bible is divine, yes, but it's also a human book as well. Right. And so where we get this word canon from is this understanding and idea of these councils, church fathers, and really through Jewish history as to what 
books of the Bible should be books of the Bible, okay? So in Jesus's day, um, he did not have the book of Romans or anything like that. What Jesus did have um, and the Jewish people had were the Old Testament scrolls, okay? So this is very important to know that up to the time of Jesus, there was almost no dispute whatsoever as to what Old Testament books were accepted as being inspired by God. So Ezekiel, Jeremiah, the Psalms, all of these things. So Jesus and them had the Old Testament. In the days of the New Testament, the Gospels record sort of the biography and life of Jesus. And then you get into Acts, which is church history. And then you get into these letters, which were written either by Peter or Paul or James or John, which were letters to Christians. What's important to note is every author in the New Testament um, is either an apostle or witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ as an eyewitness, okay? So that was some of the quote-unquote standard as to what letters and what books should we accept. Now, we fast-forward a little bit. Um, Paul and them have died, passed away, but within literally almost the first generation of the people that Paul taught and his disciples, we get in church history what is known as the First Council of Nicaea, okay? Mm -hmm. And what this is, is these are the early church fathers. This is under the emperor Constantine, and the early church fathers, quote-unquote, canonize these books, which means um, your Bible is actually a library, Yeah. okay? So it has one cover, but it has 66 books in it. I love that description of the Bible. Yeah, for sure. And it, and it makes a lot more sense mm-hmm. that way when you yeah. understand it. It's not a novel in that sense. And so through um, a bunch of stipulations and what, what we believe to be God's guiding hand, um, these early church fathers and stuff canonized what these books were. That's why um, some Catholic Bibles will have what is known as an apocrypha mm-hmm. in between the Old Testament and New Testament. What's interesting is most um, Catholics, if you're a good Catholic, understand this, that the apocrypha through church history has been widely recognized as not being divine-inspired scripture, What the Apocrypha was, was the intertestimonial period, another $3 word, between the Old Testament and New Testament. It was history that was recorded by the Jewish people to basically explain what's gone on between the end of the book of Malachi and the beginning of the book of Matthew. And so, but I think because it was bound together Mm -hmm. and placed in the middle of the Old and New Testament... Through church history, it's for some reason given credence that it is also as authoritative as Scripture. Um, but but most of the church councils would recognize that not to be true. So the word canon means the formal process of the books of the Bible that come together, which makes what is formally known as the Holy Bible or the Holy Book. Right. Yes. Um. And... Pastor Jason had staff read a book that was very helpful, especially in this topic. Yeah. It's called How 
Know how, I'll read the yep. first word, yep. Woo. know how we got our Bible. Yes. And it's part of a know-how series, or yes. no-series. Yep. Um, elaborate a little bit more on that. Yeah, on man, the, the no-series is great. It's super accessible for anybody, but what they do is, um, there's one called Know Your Church Fathers. The second one is Know Your Heretics. Um, and the third one is Know How We Got the Bible. And what they do is, is think about like how we got the Bible for dummies or right. something. It, like it's just a super accessible. It tells you about the history, the information, all of that type of stuff. So if you're somebody, and please listen to me, um, one of the reasons why I wanted the staff to kind of go through this is we believe the Bible. Right. Like everything in Westside flows from the scriptures. Well, oftentimes Christians are either challenged, attacked, or questioned about their Bible. Right. And so I'll hear stuff like, well, you know, I heard Joe Rogan say something about like white men wrote it. or so, And it's like, that's not even history. Like atheistic historians know that that's not even right. true. And so I would highly, highly, highly recommend Know How We Got the Bible. It allows you to dive into that. And it was cool to hear from you guys because you were saying like, man, this is great. I not only feel empowered, but I know history. Well, for me, I never really questioned. I believe it. It's sure. God's word. I believed it. I never really was like, I, I trusted it. Yeah. However, it was it was absolutely reaffirming in mm. seeing how. That's good. What exactly came to be that it was like, oh, I do feel more equipped to have that conversation about, eh, I don't think so, bud. That's not what yeah. it says right here. That's good. Um, That's but really it is good. a very informative book. I do know it is on some of the Bible reading apps. Great. So check that out. We'll Love put it. the info in the show notes. Absolutely. hundred percent. The next question we got in um, was in regards um, to the sermon this past Sunday and kind of the Mother's Day sermon. So I like this because this person has attended or listened to two Sundays in a row. And they are critically thinking, which we highly encourage. They're saying, if you said this and that's true, but you said this and that's true, how do these things go together? So the question is this, in the Mother's Day sermon, you spoke about respecting or honoring someone regardless if they've hurt you or not. But at the same time, you have to have boundaries and to not allow yourself to be back into a situation and to be willingly hurt. However, what this past Sunday, the message was on dishonor. I'll preface this by saying that I know the Bible says that we should forgive someone seven times or seven times 77. However, I find it hard thinking that God um, created us to be, you know, so ignorant that to allow something to continue to happen. So long story short, here's the question. How do you handle or what do you do when you feel like you are trying to honor someone to a point that even with boundaries, it's almost too much to bear when they can only in exchange dishonor you or use people to their benefit? Oh, <laughs> that's wow. a big one. That's a big one. And and again, I want to commend this person in regards to just critical thinking. So let me back up and do a little work here. What we said in the Mother's Day sermon, um, because, you know, we talked about honor your mother and father, which is great. But as soon as I said that, it was almost like I could physically feel the resistance in the oh, room. Yeah. Okay. Because unfortunately, um, I actually looked up the statistics Basically, 
50% of people either... So in this 50% of, of American Westerners, they either A, don't have a mom or dad, mm-hmm. or B, the relationship is so conflicted and broken that they don't have a relationship. Right. So, so we're talking to half of people listening to yeah. the podcast, essentially. And so I said, if you cannot honor the person because of their character, integrity, trustworthiness, you name it. What God is also saying is, is that if you can't honor the person, you can honor their position. So here's what I mean by that. If it is your mom or dad or a boss, and this person is not trustworthy, or this person has hurt you, I think a very simple way that you can honor that person is A, not speaking ill about that person in public, or to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, B, uh, a- as much as you are comfortable without lying or embellishing, you can actually maybe try to speak well of right. that person um, in public. You can also, let's say it's a boss, you can do really well what your boss asks you to do. So what's great about this is the underlying motivation and what we said in the sermon is, is you're not doing it for this person. right? As Colossians would say, work with all your might as unto the Lord. And so that's a little bit of the backdrop. But to get into the question of how do you handle that when you feel like you're trying to honor someone to a point with boundaries, but all they seem to reciprocate or give back is dishonor or hurt, what do you do? There is a Bible verse that is tucked away in the book of Romans that I end up quoting a bunch in sermons, but it has, I have probably meditated on this verse for the past three or four years. And when I mean meditate, I mean like, okay, we're going to apply this to this relationship. Mm -hmm. We're going to go into this. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says this, if possible, as much as depends on you, live peacefully with all. Mm. And there are sort of three big chunks to that. Number one, it is so interesting to me that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul says, if possible. Right. And I looked it up in the original language, and it actually says, if possible. Okay? Which tells me something. It tells me that Paul, on the axiom side of it, is also saying, this might not be possible. Mm. It might not be possible to what extent, Paul? Well, that's the next phrase. As much as depends on you. Mm. And man, that on you phrase is drove me into the ground because I would love for it to say, if possible, as much as depends on them. Right live peacefully with all. And the reality is, is you can't control another person, how they respond, what they say, or what they reciprocate to a relationship. And then it says, live peacefully with all, which is just a great motto. So I would say this, number one, I do think it is not out of the realm of scripture or God's um, wisdom and guidance that some people and some relationships are either A, so toxic, or B, so dangerous that you cannot have a relationship with that person. 
And what I mean by relationship is relationship requires trust both ways. Right. Okay. And so trusting someone in that sense. But I don't want that to be said and that be the eject button. And so then everybody bails. You know right. what I mean? Because I, I love just God's wisdom as to how he arranged this verse. Part B says, but as much as depends on you. Okay. And so I think there's a number of questions here. A, have I done everything? And when I mean everything, I mean everything that is within my power to either restore, reconcile, or forgive this person. Right. Have I done all of those things? The second question is this. If love is at the center of the Christian life, which I believe it is, the question that should govern Christians every single day is this. What does love require of me? Because when you really pause and think about that question, that doesn't mean sugar plum fairies and rainbows. No, no. Love might require a very difficult conversation. Yeah. Or love might require for you to overlook an offense or this, that, and the other. So if possible, as much as depends on you, live peacefully with all. If you're trying to honor someone and all you are getting back is dishonor, I still think that you can honor them by A, speaking well about mm -hmm. them in public, B, not slandering them or this, that, or the other, and then C, being wise in your interaction. And here's what I mean by that. I've I'm, I'm really been meditating on this verse when Jesus says to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Like Jesus says that. Think about that. That's yeah. crazy. Example, I am someone who loves to overshare information just because I love talking. I'm right. just, I'm here for the party. We're in, we were actually at a party this past weekend and my wife leaned over and was like, hey, I think you're talking like way too much. And so <laughs> I was like, I was like, that's do. just me. But here's what I mean. If somebody doesn't need a certain amount of information or if they don't need any information, then you don't need to give it. Yes. I'm learning that. Okay. And, yeah. and, and listen, that's not deception. No. That's not dishonesty. Mm -mm. That's a boundary. That's wisdom. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's just hypothetically say that this is a parent, you know, son or daughter relationship and the child is trying to honor a parent and the parent is only giving back dishonor. Man, I think that you can honor their position. Yeah. God saw it fit for those to be your parents. You can speak well of them in public. You can do a number of things. You can also not share or give access to certain areas of your life mm -hmm. actually out of honor and respect yeah. because you're saying, hey, there's something that we've really tried to work on in our relationship and it doesn't seem to be reconciling. So out of honor for you and honor for the Lord, this is what our relationship is going to look like. I think those are a number of ways um, that that can look. But here's one thing I will say. I think Christians, you know, I love when Peter and Jesus are exchanging about that forgiveness verse. Mm -hmm. I, I, I go back to Peter a lot. Peter because, because Peter's wanting Jesus to ease the tension. Yeah. 
Well, how many times? How many times do I forgive? Give me a number. And then Jesus just lays down this Jewish equation that basically means infinity. You know what I mean? And I think the lesson is not forgiveness without boundaries or you can forgive them a hundred times. I think the lesson is this. Until it hurts. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're trying to set your life up in such a way that you don't want to get hurt at all, that doesn't work. It's kind of what we said in staff meeting today. You're building walls when there should be bridges. Yeah. And and listen, I'm not meaning that you willingly subject yourself to gross, you know, grotesque hurt or sin. I'm not. I'm. I'm meaning wisdom. Yeah. That we're all broken individuals, and so I think there's some wisdom that you can use for parameters and guidance. I think you can always honor a person because we said this: honor is holding all people in positions in high value. Yeah. That's what honor is. But why do Christians do that? And and we said this because all Christians believe that all people are created in the image and likeness of God. So at the end of the day, no matter how much conflict, no matter how much hurt is taking place, the person that you are engaging with is someone created in the image and likeness of God. They have a never dying soul and they will spend eternity somewhere. And if we're going to honor God, we also honor his creation yep. in that sense. So thank you guys so much for sending in these questions, man. We want to dive in yeah. and, and Miss Nikki just do maybe a little bit of review. We flipped we flipped it on its head this week. You did. Yes. You did. You did. Yes. Um, so as much as we're talking about honor, this week we are talking about dishonor. <laughs> um, and if you are a Disney fan, I know what you're thinking because that's what my brain went to, too, the first time Jason said, we're doing dishonor. And I'm yep. Like, Yep. On you and on your cow. Yes. Um, yes. You got to tell them what that's oh, from. It's fr- I'm sorry. Yeah. It's from Mulan. If yep. you guys are Disney princess fans, Mulan is a princess. She's kind of one of the coolest ones. Yes. She didn't need a man. She's she, a warrior princess. She is a warrior yeah. princess. I almost, you know, I was going to dive in a little bit deeper about Eastern culture and mm. Western culture. And I was going to use that as yeah. the illustration for Eastern culture because she's bringing shame and dishonor yeah. on the family, you um, know? The kids' side kids heard that version of Dishonor today because that's what happens when Nikki's in charge. Yes. Cartoons are involved. I love it. Um, so, love yeah, it. we spoke on Dishonor and what that means, and the text came from Mark 6. Yeah. I'm going to read chapter 1. No, Mark I'm going to read chapter six. Yep. 6, verse 1 through 6. Woo. Um, and he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Is is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled at their, because of their unbelief and went about among the villages. Crazy. Teaching. Like, I know we talk about this a lot. We hear, especially in the church culture, if Jesus was here with me, if <laughs> if I could just have one conversation with Jesus, I wouldn't do yeah. X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. Sure. 
I really want to hit like one of those buzzers from the game shows yes. like, yes. because yeah. people lived with him and they did not believe him. Yeah. We even see in Isaiah, um, in the prophecy of the Messiah, Messiah, Isaiah says that he was nothing to look at. He was just a common person. Yeah. And then there's another part in Mark's gospel where Jesus is outside healing people and somebody comes and gets him and says, your family says to come in. And he says, the people that are my family do the will of my father. And it said that his family said, this man is out of his mind. They, Jesus's family called Jesus crazy. Like yeah. that's, that's wild, man. It's wild to think of. But I want to, I want to live here for just a second. Sure. When you go home, I, I'm the oldest of four. Yeah. I'm the youngest of four. Exactly. So <laughs> when you go home or with your parents or those that, aunts, uncles, grandparents, whomever, there is a level of respect mm-hmm. that sometimes you don't get the respect that you feel you deserve <laughs> sure. because you are in this familial role. Oh, dude. I mean, this just happened a little bit ago. We got to go to Kennett and see my grandparents. We had to run to Walmart, and my dad and I were walking through the aisles, and I heard, yo, JJ. And I was like, uh oh. I was getting ready to turn around and yeah, no, I am not Pastor Jason in Kennett, Missouri. No. That that's for sure. You revert back to <laughs> yes. this. And Jesus' family was like, he ain't know nothing. Right. This is my yeah. Right. I get that that amuses me to no end. It's interesting. And and the thrust, obviously, of the verses, which is why we talked about dishonor, is Jesus is saying in that core verse, a prophet is without honor. In his hometown, you know, so. It's it's so bizarre. But in order to have honor, there has to be a value. Mm. And you gave the illustration of a coin collection being stolen. Yeah. And I, I got so tickled because it was very it was very kid-like. It was a young 100%. person yep. who stole these coins that had an insane value. Yep. And they went to the arcade and bought pizza for the girlfriend. Yep. And then went to the movies. Yeah. And at one place, they spent a Liberty coin, which I told Roman about this. And he knows oh, all I'm about sure coins. Oh, I'm sure he lost it. One coin was worth... Um, which is insane to think about. And the reason why I use that illustration is because I said, one thing that you could say is that this young man dishonored these coins. Mm -hmm. And so we reviewed the word honor in the original language means to value, respect, highly esteem, to be weighty, to treat as precious or valuable. Which is awesome to think about when you apply that to people. Oh, yeah. You're like, man, man, this is incredible. But the term dishonor is the exact opposite. And literally, it just means to treat as common or ordinary. Okay. So let's, how do we discern, especially in dealing with people relationships? Mm. I want to value someone, I value my friendships, I value my family relationships. I don't want to treat them as common, but I don't necessarily view that as a dishonorable trait. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think a way that we as human beings dishonor people, other human beings who are created in the image and likeness of God, you know, for example, I think when we treat people as problems. Mm, We got to fix them. Yeah. And, And so let's say we either have to fix them or... Like one of the things I've really been tempted to get at in this series of honor is cancel culture. Oh. Or social media interaction. 
when we're engaging online and we're super brave behind the keyboard mm-hmm. or the phone, we speak to people in such a way that is dishonoring to yeah. them. It is speaking to them as if they are not a person who has a family. I mean, I even think about this and my heart breaks when we talk about celebrities mm. or when we do cancel culture and we say we're going to can These are human beings who have infinite value to God. And so I think when it comes to treating them as ordinary or common, I would say this. We dishonor people, and we kind of get to it at the end, when we devalue them, discredit them, or just treat them as not a human being. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, think about when Jesus says, what is the golden rule? Right to do unto others as you would have them do unto yourself. Well, dishonor is the exact opposite of that. It is demanding that people do to you what you want, but but not extending that same love and grace. Where do you think as a pastor leading a church, where do you think we've lost that? Because we teach that to our children. Sure. We we try to tell our youth groups, our student ministries, hey guys, they may not look like you, act like you, live like you, love them anyway. 100%. But then as adults, yep. something shifts yep. and we don't always honor yeah. the person in that way. Why? Yeah. I, and I, this is your opinion. No, this, yeah, this 100%. It. I think it's primarily because we are so, we are so much more selfish and mm-hmm. self-centered than we would ever imagine. So when we come into a, a quote-unquote church or, or even hearing people talk about church Ugh. or a ministry or something like that, it's like we're talking about the buffet at Ryan's. Oh, yeah. Like the macaroni was lukewarm, was this, that. And we're forgetting the reason why that's so dishonoring and, and quite frankly, offensive. Number one, it's the bride of Christ. Right. So... If, if you came up to me and started speaking poorly about Courtney, we're going to have problems. Right. We're, we're not going to engage in a conversation. Jesus has to feel the same way. And so we're claiming the name of Christ, but we're critiquing his bride on the other hand. That's a dangerous place to go, guys. Yeah. Secondly, everything in a church involves people. Everything. So whatever ministry you're critiquing, Whatever nursery worker, hey, guess what? They're a volunteer yep. who's given up their... They're not even in the service. They're they're holding your child. Yep. And they didn't know that your child couldn't have Fruit Loops right. or this, that. And so I think we are so charged as a society that when we come into church, we still come in with that anxiety and that fear and that sort of electric charge of ready to explode and I'm going to this, that, or the other. And I think it requires taking a breath, stepping back, and just realizing, and these are people, I'm a person, how can we go about this? I, I, I think that's what I see in the missing ingredient when Christians engage with one another. I, I love that because it is such a sad place when there is such a level of consumerism inside of the church. Hundred percent. This this isn't Burger King. Yeah, right. We're not doing it our way. Yes, we are not doing it our way. Yes. Um, you went on and you dove pretty deep into Romans. Yeah. And you 
discussed a lot about what honor, and I got tickled when you were like, we're 10 minutes into the sermon and the wrath of God. And I'm like, yeah. he's awake this morning. <laughs> you know, it was because one of the things, A, always want to do in my preaching is I want to teach you how to study the Bible. Mm -hmm. So I believe a good sermon, uh, the end game of preaching is a high view of scripture. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's Jesus, but I'm talking practical. Right. If people walk away from the sermon and go, man, I could never do that. Where did that come from? I never saw that in the passage. That's a fail. That's a that's not a compliment to me. Right. Clarity always beats creativity. And so I always want to show how Scripture interprets Scripture. And so Romans chapter 1 is the Apostle Paul's indictment of humanity. I mean, it's like federal charges yeah. on humanity. But what he does is he keeps breaking it down, breaking it down, breaking it down. And in verse 21, he says this, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God mm. or give thanks to him. And the ESV study Bible, when I was reading that, that is such an incredible resource, guys. I mean, I'm, I quoted in my sermons, that's how practical that study Bible is. Um, any translation is good. Whatever Bible you read, that's awesome. Okay, we'll get to that here in just a second. Great. The ESV study Bible says this, the root sin is the failure to value God above all things so that he is not honored and praised as he should be. So when we look at the definition of honor and value and preciousness mm -hmm. and all of those things, the number one most valuable thing in the universe is God. Yeah. And what Paul is saying in Romans 1, and, and we said this, dishonor is the root of disobedience. So, you know, I use the example, you tell your child, do not eat those cookies, and then you leave the room, mm -hmm. and your child goes, I'm going to eat those cookies. Mm -hmm. And they eat the cookies, you come back in and go, I can't, you know, we flip out as a parent and this, that, and the other. One of the things I said was behavior in that moment is secondary. Yes. Behavior is not the main thing there. No. The main thing is, is that why didn't that child trust me? Right. Why didn't that child value my word over their craving in that moment. And that's what Paul is saying is wrong with humanity. So a lot of us get into this cycle of, you know, sin, confess, repent, sin, confess, repent, sin, confess, repent. And it's just this repetitive, repetitive cycle because you're focusing on behavior. Mm -hmm. You're not focusing on belief. And the first step is recognizing and going, man, I actually value love and cherish money more than God yeah. or sex more than God or any, right. you, you fill in Whatever the blank, the you fill in the blank. And, and that's the root of what the apostle Paul is saying in those verses. And I, I love that you, you br brought up that sin cycle and that how it just continually right until you figure out what the problem of that is. hundred percent. hundred percent. I've heard it discussed in like AA type of situations, recovering things. Yeah. We don't always associate that playing into a church culture, although they very much, when I've got some friends who 
gave me some really insight to how sure. some of those recovery programs work, well, and faith is huge in the Well, recovery. the root of it is idolatry. Mm-hmm. There's no difference. No. And so somebody who's hooked on meth or somebody who's a gossiper, yeah, it's the sin or, or the root sin is idolatry. And so we said you can't deal with the fruit. That's behavior. You have to deal with the root, which is belief. And then I said what's even scarier is that in the church – we can have a hypocritical honor. It's a fake honor. So we literally know what to say and what to do. And in Matthew 15, Jesus says this, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Now, here's why I love the Bible. What's well, a hypocrite? Well, it's an actor who does, you know, new faces. I get all of that, but yeah. just keep reading. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. So according to God, what is hypocrisy? It's people honoring God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. It's saying one thing and doing another thing. And, And listen, guys. Jesus is saying that to the clean, nice, tidy people yeah. in the Bible, to the conservative Bible thumpers in church giving their money. Mm-hmm. Jesus's indictment there is to them. Yeah, he's not out talking to the sinners out there on the street. He's talking to the, <laughs> the people sinners sitting in, in the, the church. Peeps. That's yeah. right. And so, and so, what we said was, is that obviously we established the argument that this is a big enough deal. And I went on and showed a cool picture of a samurai, which right. is you know great. But the the phrase comes from the, uh, the Japanese samurai, death before dishonor. Mm-hmm. They would rather die than dishonor their family. And I said, why would they do that? And from what we've seen in the Bible, the big idea is dishonor brings death to all relationships. Mm-hmm. Man, I, Nikki, I just, I firmly believe it. I've, I've counseled with people who were at odds in their marriage. And yes, there's hurt. And yes, there's heartache, but honor is a choice. Mm -hmm. And the marriages that I have seen work and go the long haul are with the individuals or the husband or the wife that says, okay, there is hurt here and I don't have this figured out, but I did make a covenant promise and I am going to, with my actions and my behavior, value this person. I think that goes back into our question yeah. that we received from the viewer about how to honor or the listener about the honor yep. someone. Um, I'm going to speak some old past to my life. Come on. I used to, I still do. I work in a beauty shop. Yep. Um, I used to work with some of my very best friends. Yeah. Um, and I remember going to work one day frustrated with my husband. Sure. Um, I've been married for a very long time. Yeah. It happens on the daily sometimes. Sure. And I remember going in and having a conversation, like, and I don't remember what the argument yeah, sure. was about. And she said to me, well, yeah, he said that last time. How much longer are you going to put up with that before <sighs> you just... And she was being my friend. Ooh, yeah. She was being my friend. Sure. At that same thing, I stopped and I thought, ooh, she's still mad at him mm-hmm. over whatever the issue was. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that in forever. And it, it kind of scared me in a good way. It's an open door that you can walk into or not. Oh, I could have been like, yeah, it, it stopped me. Yeah. And now when someone comes to me, she and I are still very good friends, sure. love her dearly. Um, 
but it paused me from constantly there's wisdom in not saying everything yep. because I was not honoring my marriage. Mm, I was not honoring that promise that we had made together it's really good. by airing our laundry out to my friends. Yep. hundred percent. So now when people say, what's the best marital advice you can give me? I'm like, don't gripe to your friends about your spouse. hundred percent, man. hundred percent. Call their mama. Yes. And you know what? What's interesting is Tim Keller says in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, basically, what do you do in the dry seasons? Mm. Because those are going to come. Yep. And he has this quote that I read at every wedding that I do. He says this, in the dry seasons, you do the acts of love despite how you feel. Oh, yeah. Why? Because feelings follow actions. Yep. So actually, even though you don't feel like honoring that person, if you continue to honor that person, like in the example that you're talking about in your marriage, there's a tiff. It's we're normal human beings. Yeah. This is normal interaction. But I'm going to continue to choose to honor my husband. Here's a fun fact. Not only do your feelings actually change yeah. when you begin to do that, I have always seen it be true that when you speak honor over someone and treat them as valuable, they will rise to the level that mm. you are speaking. I mean, uh, so if you're breathing life into someone, you're honoring them, you're valuing them, because what gets, whatever gets rewarded gets repeated. Yep. Right? So, no, a, yeah. You know, I think that's great parenting advice. A hundred percent. So, so for us, like, honesty is just the big thing that, you know, we try to teach our kids. And so, you know, it's even like, hey, listen, you just need to be honest with me. You don't need to fear the punishment here. Yeah. You just need to talk to me. And so if there's honesty there, we make a big deal out yep. of honesty. And if it's and if it's an, a situation that doesn't need consequences, then there's not going to be consequences because you were honest with me. And so whatever gets rewarded gets repeated, man, all the time. And I think that's a great way to honor the, the position yes. or the person hundred percent that's not always heard about. And, and yeah. absolutely. And so I said, you know, I think some of us are like, geez, this is important. How do I know if I'm doing this or what does this look like? The crazy thing, man, is it's right there in the text. Mm -hmm. Like we can walk through the text and see how dishonor operates. It is not is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary. Yeah. Um, so I realized that was a diss, like, dude, that's the guy from down the street. Yeah. I did not realize the diss that it was the son of Mary. Yeah, basically, and I didn't say this Sunday. We said the first thing is that dishonor assumes the worst. Mm -hmm. And so in the text, when they're saying these digs, the big one is the son of Mary. So I can say this on the podcast. They are calling Jesus a bastard yeah. is what they're calling Please him. Please say that one Sunday in church, <laughs> well, not I the could've, first Sunday of the month could, ever. Right, but. Yeah, I could have because I was using it in the right sense yeah. of the term. But in John 8, 41 and 42, they say this to Jesus. <laughs> Dude, this is crazy that this mm -hmm. verse is in the Bible. Yes, it is. The Pharisees say this to the Son of God. Well, we were not born of sexual immorality. They just called his mama a very not nice thing. That's what <laughs> and, happened there. And that's what I tried to go, okay, guys, now do you understand like, oh, Mary, you will be with child. And at Easter, 
we really, or I'm sorry, at Christmas, we really try to kind of glamorize this thing. Mm-hmm. This was a Mari scandal. Yeah. This was like, and Joseph, you are not the father. Exactly. Like, what's exactly. going on? But what we saw in the interaction with these people is from the get-go, yeah. they were assuming the worst yeah. about Jesus. They're hearing what he's teaching. It is rubbing them the wrong way. And so now they've come to a conclusion. And we said this, that you can't accept the truth when you have already assumed the worst. And that means if it's initiating that conversation that's going to be difficult with mm. someone, you can't, well, I know they're going to say, no, you don't. You're, that you, conversation's you, done before it happens. Yeah, if you go in with that mindset, you have killed yes. every. You are in control, not allowing God to be. A hundred percent. And so... What if the reason why the relationship isn't working is because you can have conversations because you've already assumed everything? Mm-hmm. And hey, listen, as somebody who brings baggage into a lot of relationships, here's what's dangerous. You might be right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You might be right. But here's what I'm going to challenge you on. What if you changed your approach? Yeah. So rather than assuming they're going to do blank, which then you're going to do blank, so let's cut to the chase and just do, man, what if you spoke life? Mm -hmm. Rather than assuming the worst, you're not going to be able to accept the truth. And so dishonor works that way. It starts with assuming the worst. And then it desires conflict. Which, you know, if you're making assumptions and you're not giving anybody the opportunity, then there's going to be a conflict. And they took offense at him. Yeah. Big word in the original language. It's where we get the word scandalized from. Um, And and it's interesting. It also means, it means shocking, but it means to trip over someone. Like they they can't get past Jesus. Mm -hmm. They cannot, they've assumed the worst. They have put the stake in the ground and they are not moving beyond that. And I love what a Bible commentator, Danny Aiken says. His works, they cannot deny and his words they cannot handle, but they don't care. Mm-mm. In spite of the overwhelming evidence, they will not believe he is the Christ, the Son of God. And, and then it says they took offense at him. And so I just very gently tried to say this. Being offended is a choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are completely internalizing what's going on. They've assumed the worst. And now they're doing all of this stuff. And there's this old Jewish proverb that says, we do not see things as they are. We see things as we are. I think that was such a beautiful place for that. And I think we have to start there, guys. I think we have to admit that. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm, this is going to sound like a plug, but it's not a plug. If that's true, if you just agreed with what I said, we do not see things as they are. We see things as we are. If you just agreed with me on that, then you also must agree with me that that's why you need community. Yes. Because then those people who are godly, filled with God's spirit, filled with God's word, they love you. They're not going anywhere. The relationship's not at risk. They sit down with you and they say, hey, this is actually how it is. And you go, I never saw it. Well, Google defines offended as resentful or annoyed. In my head, 
It's good. Resentful is heavier <sighs> than annoyed. I get annoyed if they Smacking don't give gum. me. Yeah, yeah, right. it, yeah, exactly. If I don't get a ketchup packet for my French fries, that's an annoyance. But to be resentful, Oof. that's a whole nother level. You're dropping that in, in a different, deeper into yeah. the heart there, you know? And so this was actually a question that I asked myself. So I thought I would just ask the entire church. Yay. But how much do our relationships suffer simply because of our sinful stubbornness? Yeah. I mean, like, I'm, I mean, I'm talking, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know I was wrong. But until she or until mm. he or until they, I'm, and then how much time is wasted how much hurt, how much Proverbs 11, two says, when pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. And this is a fact that I wrestle with and despise that this is true. Grace rolls down hill. Mm. If you want your marriage to change, you get low. If you want your parenting to change, you get low. It's it's just the way it works. Yeah. It's the axiom of the gospel. So dishonor assumes the worst, desires conflict. Disables God's blessing. This is bonkers, man. I, I kind of <laughs> love this. I really, I really did kind of because I remember the first time reading the text, I read it and I was like, Really? They're un- okay. They're yeah. unbelief. They're standing there next to the guy and they're not doing it. Jesus That's all we want and could we could do no mighty work there. I yeah. mean, it doesn't say that he would, but then in that it says that he could not do a mighty work there and it's tied to their unbelief. And so the illustration that I used is like this is all God's giving you. Mm-hmm. This is the way God works. So imagine you're drowning and someone throws you a life preserver and they're like, grab on or you're going to die. And you say, no, I don't want to be saved that way. Well, your option is to yeah. die. Yeah, this is how you're getting saved. And so for them, they are rejecting the way that God is working. And so Jesus is like, this is the way that I work. You can't receive that. But I thought it was important I always want to distinguish because I think people think that unbelief and doubt are the same thing. I was brought up that way. You didn't question God because then that's, you are questioning. disbelieving God. Yeah. If you ask a question like, well, why do we do this? Or why do we do, then you were basically (sighs) saying, God, I don't believe you. Yeah. And I was always felt like, well. Okay. And there was a time where I'm like, maybe I don't believe in God because I got these questions and I'm not supposed to. And that's further from the, what could be from the truth. I mean, number one, the Psalms, David, Mm -hmm. the psalmist, Job, that's the whole book of Job. Thomas, Thomas is like, I've got questions. And so we distinguish, we said this, doubt desires to believe, but it lacks convincing evidence. Yeah. That's Thomas. Yeah. Thomas is like, (laughs) I would love that Jesus is alive. Right. Problem is, is I saw him die on a cross. And so until I touch those wounds, guys, I'm not going to believe, man. Right. That's doubt. That's okay because the desire is to believe. And and I would even take it a step further. Thomas took his doubts to Jesus. Yeah. That's very, very significant as well. But unbelief refuses to believe 
in spite of convincing evidence. And so unbelief says this, I don't care what you say. I don't care what is this, that, or the other. Unbelief says, you know, God can do whatever God wants. I don't believe that there is a God or that God can do blank. And and the scary thing, Nick, is, is that it says that in the Bible that the surest sign of God's wrath and judgment is that he gives people over to that. Mm. If you want it, you got it, yeah. you know? And, and to summarize it, we just said this, dishonor is devastating because it devalues another person. Yeah. Number one, they are devaluing Jesus just as a person. Mm-hmm. But secondly, they are devaluing, distorting, and rejecting him as the very son of God. And that is the, that's the grievous sin, man. That's the grievous sin. I always question those that have, like, I understand the doubters. Sure. I can get that. I can Very get sensitive that. to that. Yep. Yeah. The unbelief, like, that that breaks yeah. my heart. Well, Paul says in Romans 1 that they do know. They but, know. But they suppress the truth. Yeah. And then what they do to suppress the truth is that they don't honor God. Mm-hmm. So the longer that you do that, Paul would go on to say, is that you sever your conscience. Mm-hmm. And that's when you can sin without remorse. Yeah. It's like swinging a hammer. You do it long enough, you're going to get calluses on your hand. And we can callous our heart, yep. and we can callous our mind. But but to end it all, man, I just told the story about Piper trying to pipe in a conversation. That third kid. That <laughs> poor, third kid. Yeah, baby, a poor, poor baby girl. She was trying to get Andy and Roman's attention, and finally she just yells, you are acting like I don't exist is. And they were like, whoa, and then they apologized. And whenever that exchange was done, I just really felt the Spirit of God speak to me and say, you know, Jason, you live that way sometimes. Mm -hmm. How quickly do I live like Jesus isn't alive? Or how many situations do I enter into? Or how much fear, how much anxiety do I take on? because of my unbelief of what God can do in that sense. And then we ended in some application questions. I was going to say, you gave us the three questions. Yeah. When will I start believing the best in relationships? That's a big one, man. And I think it's harder for those that have hurt, like the longer relationships. And I'm thinking parental, spouse, in-laws, whatever the hurt may be. Absolutely. Um, Your coworkers, you're a little more like, hey, it's Bob. I work with him. He's great. He's kind of a jerk sometimes, but you overlook it more. But if it's your husband, wife, spouse, sure, father, whatever. Yeah, I think it's too, like, I think one of the practical ways if somebody goes, well, what does it mean to believe the best? I think it's this. I heard another pastor say this. Fill the gaps with trust. Mm. Fill the gaps with trust. Yeah. So you're in this relationship. You don't have it all figured out. There's a lot of gaps. Yeah. What if it looked like that you just moved forward with trust? Mm-hmm. And you filled the gap. What if you did that with your boss, with leaders, with uh, anything like that? I, I don't know, man. I think it's a powerful question. I, I love this second one, even though it's hard. Yeah. Um, Where is unbelief in my own heart? Because it's very easy, just like how we started this podcast, mm-hmm. to read that story and go, man, that's bonkers. Man, yeah. that's crazy. Man, that's... And you even alluded to it. Like, man, if Jesus was here, guys... No, we, we are the unbelievers in the story. We are the people who are just assuming and in our everyday life. That's what sin is. Mm-hmm. 
Sin is not believing God and his promises. That's what's so devastating. Do I live like Jesus is alive? Man, Not well, always. Yeah, like yeah, I love what Pastor Timothy Keller says. Okay, if Jesus really rose from the dead, if God raised him from the dead, that, that means that he is ruler of the cosmos. And I have to accept that what he said is true. And I have to obey. Yeah. I can't negotiate no. with a guy that rose from the dead. Yeah. Okay. This is not a consultant here on yeah. anything like that. That's a big, big deal. What does that look like in your dating life? Oh. If God says that this is the way relationships, this is the way sex works, this is the way this works. Money. Money. Oh my gosh. It's, all of that stuff. Money is it's huge. Huge. It's huge, man. So I think what we did this week is we sort of flipped honor on its head mm-hmm. to look at dishonor in order to clarify what honor really is. So dishonor brings death to all relationships. So the flip side of that will be honor brings life to the relationship. 100%, man. Um, so where is somewhere in the sermon that maybe, and I know you mentioned it a little bit ago about the samurai. Was there anywhere else you wanted to dig in a little more? Yeah. I think bridging on that last one about unbelief and mm-hmm. Jesus not being able to do any more miracles, I kind of told people to... There are only two times. I loved this. In all of the, I mean, guys, this is huge. In all of the gospels that it says, and Jesus marveled. Yeah. The first one is at the Roman centurion's faith. Uh, He just tells Jesus, well, just speak the word and my child will be healed. And Jesus goes, yes, this guy gets it. In all of Israel, I've never seen anything like this faith, which is kind of a slam to Mm. Israel because the guy works for Rome. And so so that's a big deal. The second is here. The only thing that Jesus finds unbelievable is unbelief. Like he's amazed. Well, they're just such opposing ends of the spectrum when it comes to him being, him marveling. Yeah, so to go even deeper, where am I blocking God's blessing in my life? Mm. And, and and I'm talking myself. Right. I'm talking my own belief, my own faith. Now, this is not prosperity. This is not, well, they wouldn't have died if you had just prayed more. Right. This is not what that is because no. it says that Jesus healed some people in this, that, and the other. I'm talking about not believing God in who he for who he is and his promises and then living like that's true mm-hmm. in that sense. That's a big deal, man. And and I think that you could spend a, a ton of time on right. something like that. So Well, we're so. continuing on with this sermon series in the May We Honor. Yes, um, we got some exciting stuff coming up. I am really excited for the next couple of weeks. Yes, it's going to be good. We've got a, a few important dates. On May 29th, we are doing what's called the May We Honor offering. Mm-hmm. And what we're learning about, um, and we're going to learn this week, is that one of the primary ways God says that we can honor Him is through money. And so, yep, we're doing it. We're talking about it. but We but need to. We do, but please come with an open mind. Yes. Okay, please come with an open mind. It's we're, not a smackdown. Yeah, we're not taking, I'm not going to guilt you and no. then go, we're taking an offering this Sunday. We, I intentionally did not want to take the offering on the day that we spoke about money because I wanted the Spirit of God and the Word of God to do a work in people that even in the coming weeks, they would still be thinking and praying yeah. on this. But what the May We Honor offering is, is that we are ending 
our um, fiscal year, our financial year. And this is just a push for us to continue with ministry. It goes to our general operating budget, all of that stuff. So that's really, really cool. This Saturday is the Dudes Day, Dude's Day. which is going to be a ton of fun. Meet at the church at 245. We're calling it God, Guns, and Grub, which in Southeast Missouri is pretty much it. That's a heck that's, of a day. That's a heck of a day. And then I'm really excited. This Sunday at 8.30, we start our very first pre-service prayer time, which is called the Boiler Room. I am so proud of Alan for this. Alan Baum, our board member who's incredible, is a prayer warrior. This guy's heart just breaks and goes to the Lord in prayer. And he is starting a prayer ministry. And so at 8.30, You'll come in, you'll pray for the Sunday service, for yeah. God to do something. You're going to, like, the way that he's got it outlined, he has this little thing called Seven Families in Seven Days, mm. and he's got the names of families. And oh. so when you leave the prayer service, you'll get a prayer sheet that all that week, like on Monday is the Jordans, and then on Tuesday is the Mausers. Oh, and wow. then, Yeah, it's going to be really incredible That's time. so beautiful. And just the backstory on this, um, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, had some college students come tour the church, and they wanted to know the secret of Spurgeon's success, and they asked, how do you preach the way that you do, and why are so many people getting saved here at the Metropolitan Tabernacle? And he said the secret was in the boiler room. Well, back then that was like the utility closet. That's like where the, you know, outlet breaker system is and all that stuff. And he took them downstairs and opened a door. And when he opened the door, the room was packed with people on their knees praying. Mm. And Spurgeon says, this is the secret to this church. I love that. And so Jesus says, my house, my father's house will be a house of prayer. And so listen, that starts this Sunday 8.30 8.30 a.m., intentional time of prayer. This Sunday is also the last Sunday for signups for the women's ministry. We Huge. kick that off in June. Yep, June um, 3rd. June 3rd will be our Friday night launch. You guys can go to the website to find out more information. We're on Facebook, all the things. Yep. Um, if you, I want to say this about the men's ministry as well as the women's. You do not necessarily have to be West Side members. Oh, gosh, This no. is open. Yes. If you are a male or female over the age of 16, Yep. Come hang. Seek us out. Yeah, find us. We will absolutely. You're you're one of us. We are all followers of Christ, period, end of sentence. Yes, we're just going into this knowing that we need each other and we're yeah. better together for yeah, sure. So absolutely. we love you guys. You got any questions? Shoot them to us at info at westsidepb.org. You can check out our website at www.westsidepb.org. Check us out on Facebook time of prayer this Sunday at 8.30, and then our service will follow at 10 a.m., and it'll be on Facebook Live as well. Until we meet again, guys, it is all about Jesus. Blessings. Yeah.